1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators, but no one compares. Badass Women's Hour XL with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. One, two, three, four. welcome to the badass women's hour podcast extra bits this week we talk to lgbt campaigner max morgan about sex education and just how to handle the situation in birmingham badass women's hour XL on talk radio she'll get you talking our next guest wrote a piece on his own blog that went viral which looks at his experience of homophobia growing up and coming out as a gay man later in life He says, the homophobia we experience as children spreads throughout our lives like ripples on a pond. I remember everything, and so will your children. Max Morgan, welcome to Badass Women's
2: Hour. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Uh,
1: Can you tell us a little bit about, well, first of all, tell us a little bit about your childhood and growing up and just realising who you were as a person and how society saw that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I grew up during the 80s and 90s, so it was under the the Section 28 um, For legislation.
1: For anyone who doesn't know what Section 28 is?
2: That was a piece of legislation introduced by the uh, Thatcher government, which it banned what it called the promotion of homosexuality by local authorities and schools. What it meant in effect was that the few limited LGBT support services that existed at that time were, were defunded; they they closed down, um, and that that children in schools were getting no LGBT relationship education at all because it was illegal to do so.
1: And there's a really moving piece in your blog where you talk about being kind of five or six with your friend James, and hearing for that kind of first time the use of that's gay as an insult
2: yeah I mean I don't think he meant it as an insult it was kind of oh we can't hold hands because that's gay and and I think he'd probably heard that himself and was relaying it to me and but the effect it had on on me at that time was to think well I mean I was I was five six so I didn't really have the language to kind of articulate what I felt for him, but I knew I felt something different for him than what I felt for for my other friends. And that was like the first inkling I had that what I felt was wrong, I suppose. Um, So growing up at that time under Section 28, we had no information in school that that what we were feeling was normal or, or, or valid. And... This was against the backdrop, of course, of the, uh, the AIDS crisis at the time. We had a, a hugely hostile press, um, particularly against gay men. There was this stigma that they were spreading disease and trying to corrupt children and all these kind of nasty, hateful things that were being said about gay men in the press. Um, and there was nothing to offset that. We had We had no internet at that point. We had no social media. So the only information that we actually got was from either, you know, like newspapers, TV, or what we had at school. So we had all this quite negative stuff in the media, and just nothing to offset that, no one to say to us, you know, what who you are is, is normal, it's fine to be feeling what you're feeling. Yeah.
0: Where did you find, did you manage to find, uh, you know, your own support group, your people that you could surround yourself with that, that did kind of uh, counteract what you know what was going on in society at the time or did you feel very much alone in that phase?
2: Yeah I mean I never had that at school Um, and even for much of my adult life um, to be honest at at school primary school was not as bad as secondary school Um, but I think that was because more I was not as aware of who I was I was aware that I was maybe different to how I was expected to be but I think once you hit adolescence and you, you get to secondary school and all the really fun homophobic bullying starts with the violence and the epithets and all that kind of stuff, um, you just feel isolated, you feel afraid, you feel ashamed of who you are. And that kind of drove me into the closet. You know, I, I was by the time I left school I was deeply repressed i was i was closeted and 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 unhappy and that lasted throughout my adult life until two and a half years ago um by which point i was 37 i'd been married for 13 years to a woman obviously um i had a son um and and coming out at that point um thankfully I, you know, I, I got a lot of support at that point. But up until that point, I didn't feel really like there was anyone I could speak to about it.
1: How did your family, particularly your wife and your son, react when you came out?
2: They were amazing. And and I'll always be, you know, really grateful for, for the reaction I got from them. My wife's a, a very sort of open, tolerant and accepting kind of person anyway. So I was... I was like 99% sure that she would be supportive, but there's always that sort of 1%. You know, when when I'd finally made peace with it myself and I was thinking about plucking up the courage to tell her, there was that kind of reticence, you know, you play these nightmare scenarios over in your mind where the whole thing's going to explode in your face. and and So it was a really big, scary moment Mm. for me to do that. But... She was very accepting, extremely supportive, and as was my my son when I told him. Which, kind of, puts into perspective all these silly arguments about you know children can't deal with this thing you know and it'll, it'll confuse them, it'll upset them. If he could cope with me coming out as his father and and kind of the uncertainty at, you know yeah. surrounding his childhood, I think children are, are well equipped to know that. LGBT people exist.
1: How do you feel about the announcement from the government this week that LGBT sex education will become part of sex education in
2: schools? It's extremely welcome. Long overdue. Um, The the guidance was last updated in 2000 and Section 28 wasn't repealed until 2003. So that guidance dates back to to that era and as a consequence, um, there is no requirement currently for any kind of LGBT education in schools, and a lot of schools still aren't doing it. So that that was a welcome development. I still have certain concerns. For example, there, there seems to be some kind of fudge in there for faith schools where they might have some kind of workaround. It says they, ha- they still have to teach the lessons, but they can do so in accordance with their faith.
0: What's, what, mm. what is your rhetoric around faith? Because, you know, I I, li- I like to think that I'm accepting of other people's beliefs, even if I don't agree with it. And, you know, religion is driving a lot of this recent homophobia. What's the counter argument to that? When somebody is driven by a religious faith and they, you, by their means, they they don't believe they're being uh hateful they're they're being driven by their strong values that they've been brought up with and that they believe in. What's your counteract argument how do you How do you reason with somebody when they're coming from a religious or faith point of view
2: well i I think the religious argument is is largely a smokescreen for their intolerance. Every person who who adheres to any religion these days does so on a selective reading of their particular text. So, for example, we don't stone rape victims to death anymore because that is barbaric and no one does that. Um, We don't think eating shellfish is a sin. We don't think wearing clothing of mixed fibres is a sin. So if we can look at a religious text and say these parts of it are not relevant to the 21st century, if they are hanging on to the bit that says gay people are sinful, gay people are abhorrent, they're an abomination or whatever, that says more about them than it does about the the faith. And I think there are millions now of Muslims, Christians, Jews, Hindus, people of all faiths who have reconciled their interpretation of Scripture with tolerance and acceptance of LGBT people. So the ones that aren't doing that, they're making a, a, a direct choice not to do that
0: interesting yeah I'd not really seen of it seen of it seen it from that perspective but you're right the gentleman that we had called earlier he was saying you know there's different ways that you can interpret uh, yeah. religion so you're so yeah so the anti argument if you are interpreting it that way it's likely your own biases your own internal judgments isn't it rather than actually your religion that's driving your decision and religion becomes a nice Excuse and smokescreen for that.
2: I think it does, and and if you know, I think if you believe, I don't believe in any particular god, but whatever god you believe in, surely they would love people regardless of who they loved. If they're causing no harm to other people by doing what they do, um, why would any god say that that was abominable or, or whatever the you know the the term is?
1: What do you think of the situation in Birmingham at the moment?
2: It's it's depressing it's it's heartbreaking it's enraging you know all those things because we we we're, we're just fighting battles that we've already fought you know a lot of the the stuff we're hearing now is the stuff we were hearing 30 years ago under section 28 and it's just you know to to see that person stood on the back of a, a flatbed truck um shouting anti lgbt stuff to a crowd of children gathered there Now, by various estimates, between 5 and 10% of us are LGBT. So, if you've got a a school of, you know, average 200 students, between 10 and 20 of those students are going to be LGBT. So, if you're standing there, you know, basically preaching hate at them, they are going to remember that. That's going to stay with them. And one of their earliest memories is, is going to be of, someone you know whether it's a parent or a member of the community someone they trusted standing there and saying that what they are is is not right it's it's a bad thing to be and that's hugely damaging for a child.
0: I'm a a very optimistic person and what I'm wondering is the children that are growing up now have access to the internet when you were growing up you didn't have that you were very much alone for so you had nothing to counteract the the argument that you that you were seeing and experiencing do you think that kids growing up now now they will have access to the internet they can find counter arguments they can find their tribes earlier on do you think that if you'd have had that growing up that that would have that would have helped you do you think do you think that's going to help counteract this hate speech that a child be able to then go actually this is just going on here it's not going on everywhere?
2: I think it does to some extent and I and I I think it is hugely valuable for for young people now to to have that there. Um but I mean if you look at the the Stonewall school report from 2017 um two in five LGBT students um report that they get no education at all on LGBT issues at, at school. Um by contrast 96% of LGBT children Report finding some information on the internet. So, yes, it's a valuable resource to them. I have concerns that we're kind of farming out our responsibility to the internet when we should be teaching because, obviously, there are people on the internet whose motives aren't entirely pure. And if we are farming out our responsibility to educate children to the internet, um, that obviously brings its own problems. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Max, if you could talk to maybe some of those kids in birmingham now what would you tell them
2: i would tell them that you know who they are is is valid it's normal to 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 feel the way they do and you know to to maybe find someone if they can that they trust to to talk to about these things. Talking always helps if you can find someone who's understanding enough to um you know to to listen and and understand what you you're going through or maybe not even understand it but be able to to sympathize with it and yeah. and support you and and love you through it. Um it's very difficult to, for those children because they are they are part of that community that seems to have really grasp this issue and, and in quite a negative way um, but you know I suppose particularly for primary school children as well they don't generally have access to the internet and if they do have access it will be closely monitored and they won't be mm-hmm. able to find the answers that, that they obviously need so yeah I mean it, it's it's very hard for them and I, and I do sympathise with, with those children because I've been there, I've been that child. Mm. Um, but yeah, speaking to someone if, if they can, if there's someone available. Yeah. Um, teachers, teachers are, are usually uh, pretty good Pretty good in, in that sense. Not Max. all of them, but... <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, hopefully they yeah. Max, thank you so much for coming in and joining us. If people want to read more from you, where can they find you?
2: Um, spilleroftea.com, that is my uh, website. <laughs> uh, and that's also my Twitter handle. Uh, But that comes with a a strong language warning. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Morgan.
1: Thank you so much for coming in. This has been the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. If you want to hear more from us, you can come follow us on social media at Badass Women's Hour HR um, or leave us a review and tell us how much you love us. We really need to feel the love. Five stars should do it.